Welcome to the Want to Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Frank Stappen. In this episode, I talk with Nick Yankel. He is a guy who has written about five books. He's given a couple of TEDx talks. We talk about spiritual atheism, which sounds like an oxymoron, but it's the idea that in Western society, we have this yearning for spiritualism, and yet we kind of push back against organized religion. And how do you deal with all that? How can travel transform you? How can travel get in touch with your perhaps your spiritual size as, as, as well? Enjoy this podcast. Also, I encourage you to write a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It takes just a few seconds. Hit the five-star button. And if you do, I'll read it online. I'll read your review online. Let me know what you think about these short episodes, with, which are only 15 minutes or so. Do you like them? Thank you. Podcast. I'm your host, France Tapa. I'm here with Nick Jenkel. How are you, Nick? I'm great, thank you. Really good. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, so I wanted to find out about a couple of things that you've done uh, that are really interesting. I mean, you've done many things that are interesting, but we're going to, since we only have about 15, 20 minutes or so, I wanted to zero in on the two uh, things that interest me and maybe my audience the most. Number one is your book about spiritual atheism. And the second thing is a little bit more about your TEDx talk that you delivered. So let's start off with number one, spiritual atheism. When somebody hears that term, they think it's an oxymoron. Explain a little bit more. Yeah, the whole point of the idea, the book, the thinking is that it's um, the fact that we think it's an oxymoron is the problem we have in our world. And often the problem we have in our own hearts and minds is that um, in many ways, all the problems we face, I think, are because our heart and our mind are in some ways um, sort of divorced from each other. Um, and so if you put that at the macro level, we have this belief that if you believe in science and logic and reason and and thinking, that it means somehow you can't also believe in intuition, in sensation, in love, in connectivity, and ultimately in, in interconnection, which is the core of the spiritual experience, though not always the religious experience. Um, and so um, I uh, wrote this book to try and help myself initially and then hopefully others understand how you can be both fiercely pro-science, but without pretending it doesn't have challenges and issues and, and blind spots. And you can be fiercely, intuitively connected in your heart without pretending that the new age and the spiritual movement doesn't have blind spots and, and issues and shortcomings and how you can marry them together inside you ultimately um, and what that means for the world. It seems like there's, especially in the high income countries, Westernized countries, that there is this struggle because I think as homo sapiens, we have a tendency towards spiritualism that seems to be embedded in our DNA. Otherwise, religion wouldn't be so pervasive. At the same time, uh, Western societies are very science focused and fact based and that kind of stuff. And we kind of gravitate away from myths, mythology and that kind of stuff. And so a lot of people are struggling with this because they're like, as you mentioned, their heart is pulling them towards spiritualism and the unseen versus but their brain and their intellect is telling them, but that does, doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I live that. <laughs> suffering and that for me that i talk in the book about it being a schism and i lived that schism in my life for a long time i was a scientist and then i sort of came out as a spiritual 
seeker and and believer in love and i mean cosmic in, infinite love not just relational love um although one is a uh, um, an echo of the other um, do you do you, do you know about sam harris yes yes so so he seems to also maybe correct me if i'm pitching holding you wrong here but it seems like he kind of subscribes to a bit of your notion as well which is uh, that he says, can you be kind of religious slash spiritual and not be <laughs> religious slash spiritual? And his path is through meditation. Mm -hmm. I think, and, I mean, I, I, my understanding is he's probably one step less committed to the mystical experience of spirituality than I am. I um, and um, I think he might have arrived at something like that serenity through meditation, through Buddhist practice, through Buddhist philosophy. Um, for me, that waking up to oneness, to love, to connection, to our infinitude is the fundamental experience of being alive, from which everything then springs and requires us to reorganize our life around it whilst maintaining our commitment to science. Um, and so definitely in the same ballpark, and as far I would probably be even a bit more um, harsh around I don't think we need any religiosity at all. In fact, I don't think we need religious rituals. I don't think we need religious um, festivities or congregations or anything. This is a. I don't think I don't think Sam would want that either. There, there are some in the um, in the sort of atheist, softened atheists who have said, you know what, um, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God and I believe in science, but I can see that religion has some values in terms of we get together, we hang out, we mm. do some things, we maybe we sing. And for me, actually, that's the mistake. That's a that's part of the error, which is that's that's mistaking the um, the wood for the trees. And the key to what I try and help people understand is it's not just that you can be both spiritual and scientific. It's that we have to be. And we can't achieve in inner peace and we won't definitely won't achieve political and social justice unless we allow our intuition to guide our reason and our reason to sharpen our, our, our intuition. It kind of reminds me what you were just saying there of AJ Jacobs. I'm not sure if you know him. No, he's less known, but, yeah. um, but AJ Jacobs wrote a book about uh, living biblically and so he's he claims that he, you know he's a jewish person like uh, the olive garden is italian in other words he's not very, he's a, he's a classic jew in the sense that he's not religious at all yes <laughs> um and so he decided i'm gonna go spend i think a year like following every little of the 600 plus laws that are in the old testament <laughs> and um just to see what it is and he did say that just following the rituals and the religion like uh was in some ways beneficial even though he didn't believe anything just those ritualistic acts had its own benefit so that's kind of, but uh, but my t my sense is that you would disagree with that i wouldn't disagree imperative i say the rules developed for a reason and they were functioning functional at the time um the problem with rules is they get out of date very quickly just as we can see that constitutions get out of date very quickly right right and so um it's fine to follow rules as a kind of proxy for our own inner guidance, our own morality, our own inner compass, our own intuitive sense of what is right for us, what's a fit for us, what is appropriate in the moment. But we live in unbelievably unprecedented times. So for, if, if you use a rule to apply to, say, wearing a mask or, uh, you know, a, 
going against going against guidelines that someone set it doesn't work because we have to be able to live in this moment which has never happened before and for that and this is why the spiritual piece is so important it's because without a deep inner field that we have spent some time in and reflected on and found our own truth inside we rely on other people's truths or or outrage or political sort of um shenanigans and we get fired up and that's why this spiritual piece is so important because it actually helps our reason it doesn't clash with our reason all right nick what i love what you said there is i thought so interesting about how constitutions and other things uh, rules that we write down from long ago quickly get outdated and a classic example of that is actually homosexuality you and i are old enough to remember that when we were younger when we were kids i mean homosexuality was completely taboo utterly taboo and now it's like practically mainstream i mean it's no it's completely accepted i shouldn't say mainstream anyway you understand what i'm saying is that the norm or the rules on homosexuality has gone from abhorrence to complete acceptance in just one generation Mm, absolutely i mean you can see but you, uh, the even more interesting for me at the moment is that we are working in countries that have these constitutions that were most written in the sort of 18th century 17th century right with, when we didn't have global trade globe you know flights uh internet the conglomeration of ideas and whatever and we're trying to struggle to run countries with these rule sets that just are out of date it's, there's nothing right or wrong about it there's nothing moral it's not like i I'm trying to be revolutionary. I'm just saying it just doesn't function in the current complexity of the world we're in. Just like the rules of business that were set, you know, 100, 200 years ago around shareholder value, um, promoting just shareholder value, they worked when there was no concept of environmental impact, of of societal impact. Just like you know what, your job is to make me money because I can't tell what you're doing when you go off to India or the Caribbean to make money for this company. So we're going to make sure that companies have to make lots of money for for their shareholders. It's so out of date now, it doesn't work. Um, but we're struggling to catch up with all these rules that have kind of layered down on us. And so we have to be free thinkers. But that doesn't mean revolution, being a sort of radical just for this point of being a radical and just going, I don't believe in the system, I'm sticking to the man. Because the systems, again, it's there for a reason. It has functioning uses, it's, it's, it's helpful. Um, and this level of, of discernment and, and refinement within us is the work of spirituality. Um, and it's the work of critical thinking. Um, and the two should come together. The problem I think we've got at the moment is a lot of people think spirituality is going to yoga and, and having a hug and lighting some 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 incense candles or some sage. And um, I love all that stuff. My wife literally just saged uh, my office. Um, but that's not the thing itself, right? The thing itself is how do I make good decisions using what my intellect, as you said, the intellect tells me, what I've read, researched, looked at the newspapers, and I've read some studies, and then what my heart feels. And the great example, actually, this was in Spiritual Atheists, and for some reason I took it out, it's about five pages, about immunizations and about vaccinations, which of course is going to be one of the great talking points of the next two or three years is, do I or don't I? Do I for my kids, don't I? Do I let my 90-year-old uh, parent, do I, don't I? And this is a great example of where we have to understand the science as best we can. And we're not scientists, a lot of us. So do our best. We you know, struggle with some science papers, look at some research. And then we have to meditate and reflect and say, what, what is right for me, first of all, risks and rewards. Also, what's right for society? Because it's not just me here. I'm not on my own. Um, and this is going to be a great um, testing point for ourselves as humans is can we make good decisions um, about things that really do affect a lot of people. 
What about the decision of travel and how that could lead you to spiritual atheism? You talk about that a little bit. It kind of did. So in my book, there's an entire chapter on travel and um, actually my experiences initially in Africa, just because that was the first place I went that was fully different. And one of the things I like to say is I went to Africa. I was 19. Which which part? Which country in Africa? Or which I went to Zimbabwe, um, and I was 18, and I was given a job in the Ministry of Education in Zimbabwe in a village in the middle of nowhere teaching science. I just finished my own high school, you know, A levels in England, high school diploma, whatever you want to call it. So I had no experience of teaching. I had no training. Um, I was literally in a place. There's no toilet. There was no uh, electricity. um, No running water. It was proper mud hut style. And I was like two days out of London, you know, I'm suddenly in a mud hut and I'm supposed to in front of a class of 40 people with a chalkboard with pocked marks in the board, you know, old school chalkboard, just painted black on a cement wall. Um, and I have to say that I went to Africa, spoilt um, upper middle class, kind of semi hipster Jew from Northwest London, uh, like a Jewish prince. And I came back profoundly humbled by how little I knew about huma- humankind and relationships and community um and how that was a big awakening to me of other ways of knowing um maybe indigenous ways of knowing other cultures just how different their lenses are their frames are um, and how much we can learn from that and if but but the first six months of that travel experience i resisted it i pushed it away i was irritated by it i was like god i can't wait to get to the city harare or johannesburg to get to the hotel and the buffet and the hot shower all the things i thought i needed um and for about six months i resisted this this utterly different culture to my own um and then once i finally stopped resisting and let it go let my resistance go my walls my barriers in came this wisdom and knowledge from, you know, centuries of living with very little material stuff, but huge amounts of relational capital of of connectivity. And then I repeated that experience in India and and South America, where I was going there with my mindset and and, and pushing against their world, uh, judging it, um, separating myself from people, um, being better, obviously, because I'm a Westerner and I'm a blah, 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 blah. And one of the great, so I've, I've had taken so much from travel. Um, and in fact, so much so, I don't know if you know this, I actually pitched a transformational travel show to, to Lonely Planet TV about 10 years ago, because I believe so much that travel can be a, a, a different way in to spiritual awakening, uh, or just even just shaking up of our mind uh, of our of transformation than meditation or psychedelics or any of these other routes. It's, it's, it's a route of its own. Um, right. But we have to be careful not to go there as a kind of, I don't know what you call it, a kind of cultural um, magpie so, take, just taking, yeah, just taking, mm-hmm. taking, taking and treating it like a workshop um, and, and finding some way to have reci- reciprocity. So we give something. I don't necessarily mean build a school. I just mean mm. emotion, emotionally being part of where you're at and giving yourself to it. Nick, what would you advise somebody who's listening to this? Because I agree with you. I mean, my, my TEDx talk was called How Travel Transforms You. And so we're, we're thinking the same lines there. But what would you, somebody who's listening to this, how, what would you advise them if they say, okay, I kind of buy into this, what you're saying, where should I go? You know, what should I do? What kind of, yeah. you know, it's a sabbatical. Can I go for a weekend? Yeah. Where should I go? 
Do I need to go to Zimbabwe too? <laughs> Definitely not. It's probably not safe now anyway. I don't know. Um, I think the first thing to do, it would be to follow your curiosity. You know, scratch the itch of wherever you've been. You've read a, a poem from somewhere or you've seen it on a sh- cooking show. Where It doesn't matter. Just follow your hunches, your inner wisdom. Listen to it. And just go there. Um, obviously, the longer you spend, the more you commit. Of often the more you get back it's very hard to get a full transformative experience from a few minutes uh, yeah, a couple of weeks in a in a resort second thing is don't go to a resort you're not going to get any, literally you know it's the i call it the marriott effect you know the whole point of hilton's and marriott's is so that people can travel like as if they're at home and they don't have to deal with any of the inconveniences but the point of travel is the inconveniences because it's the inconveniences and discomforts that show us where we've got um stuff for ourselves that we don't have to have um and in fact and this is where it's so interesting because one of the things i often talk about spirit the spiritual path the genuine spiritual path is it's about discomfort and inconvenience and in many ways travel is about discomfort and inconvenience proper travel you know right and i think that that's especially true for people who come from high income societies because i think if you're from zimbabwe for example when (laughs) they like to travel they do actually want to go to Disneyland and they actually deserve to go to the Marriott because they put up with day-to-day inconveniences that you and I don't put up with. So, so exactly. I, I imagine... For them, that's the joy. Oh my God, I'm in the Hilton. This is amazing. Um, and, I don't, and I don't mean you have to become some kind of neo-shaman who suddenly lives off the earth and uh, doesn't even use a knife and using a sharp tool. That's also, you know, false. I would call that false consciousness. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of... You can be yourself. You can bring yourself you can bring your bits and bobs in your stuff but for me the greatest moments have been when i've missed a missed a bus and ended up spending three hours talking to someone or when i you know where i've um been sick or any of these things i'm not saying you know go and drink the water and get amoebic dysentery like i did i wouldn't recommend that but but there's still opportunities for growth and gratitude in these strange experiences and i guess one of the discernments is whether you're going on holiday or whether you're going traveling and I think that's right. kind of a start point. Right. We've got five minutes left. So in the last uh, couple of minutes, I wanted to talk more about your TEDx talk. And if you listen to it, and I'll put a link in the show notes for those who want to see it, and they should see it. What are things that you wish you would have said or clarify or, or questions that people came up with afterwards to you and say, hey, you know, Nick, I didn't really understand this or could you talk more about this? Well, I've anyway. actually done two. And so I don't know which one that you're, you've seen, but I imagine okay. it's the more recent one. Um, and actually, that was an interesting, I, I mean, there's nothing I can remember that I would go, that was, you know, wrong or different or whatever. One thing I did remember from it is I was told about who the audience mainly were, like a couple of minutes before the actual talk, which, and, and I thought it was a kind of more like a kind of, let's call it an ideas audience. And it was actually more of a health and well-being, um, uh, doctors, nurses, mental health practitioners. So very last minute, um, bearing in mind I work in transformation and and uh, healing of trauma and pain, emotional pain and suffering. Um, I tried to sort of tailor it to that, more that audience, whereas the video I was hoping to get from it was more, a slightly different video. So there was a, there was a slightly... Um, there was, you know, I was trying to serve my audience whilst also trying to have a video that I would be use, that would be of value to me and other people who weren't from that particular uh, uh, area. And that's a bit of a keynote speaker's chat. You know, that's definitely a speaker's. Um, it wasn't ideal for me. Uh, right, it's a nightmare. 
Uh, well, you know, I like to try and metabolize my nightmares into into <laughs> fantastical, awesome experiences. But I do remember going. I do remember feeling slightly off my game, um, and I and I give about I don't know a hundred keynotes a year, something. You know, I'm, I'm a well seasoned speaker, but I don't like to be surprised in the last few minutes or something. Um, you know, I like to know who my audience is. I like to get a feel for them. And then I can sort of orient my myself to them. I often, I often visualize and what's the word, sort of bring people into my heart before I speak so I can really connect with people uh, where they're at rather than where I'm at. Um, and so that was a bit of a doozy for me, was that um, slight uh, off kilter. I probably would have gone a different journey through my thinking if I'd have known that they were an audience who were, primarily interested in helping people um, who are sick. Got it. So your latest book, tell us a little bit about your latest book. Plug it, please. Uh, latest book is called Now Lead the Change. Um, it's about finding purpose. It's about um, leading people, um, teams, organizations, communities, uh, activism, whatever you're, who you want to lead. Um, and about and that's how... The, by the way, that's what I listened to. The TEDx talk was related to oh. And um, and it's about uh, playing your full part in dealing with this crisis-ridden world we're in. Um, that said, within it, so that's a, that's the kind of wrapper of the book, the beginning and the end. Within it is the most up-to-date um, written version of the methodology that my wife and I have been developing for many years on on self-transformation, how you transform yourself. So if you're interested in in the how you bring science and spirituality together to transform yourself the core of this book 200 pages on it is about what we know about ourselves and how we can organize ourselves to heal ourselves and not rely on other people to um and we're now developing that core into a book next year that will focus on um this theory called biotransformation theory Nick, you're very prolific. I think you've got about five books at, around. Something roughly. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. I know how hard they are to write. So oh, I congratulate yeah. you. They are a journey of how, um, love. Exactly. <laughs> and self-love. Uh, last, last question. <laughs> how, exactly. How can you, self-flagellation, I would say, but anyway, um, what would you say are the, is the best way for people to follow you uh, on social media or on the um, Facebook and Instagram? We're a switch on now. Um, that's my wife and I, and that's where we're most focused. Uh, website switchonnow.com. Um, and uh, actually, I should say uh, next year, in the next few months, actually, we're opening up our first ever open program for people, all virtual. Um, so if you want to spend six months deepening your journey of transformation with us, then um, switchonnow.com forward slash living. Wonderful. Nick, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that was... Uh... And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. 
Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.